Are you ready for God's word today? All right, grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I love the gospel of John. I love the Bible and everybody says, what's your favorite verse? It's usually the one that I'm thinking about at the time. What's your favorite book? Usually it's the one that I'm studying at the time. Uh, But I love John's gospel. Typically by theologians, it's called the fourth gospel because it's the fourth written gospel. And also it is not like the other three gospels, typically known as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic gospels because while they are written even to different audiences and by different authors, they cover similar material. Material and even and even talk about it in a similar way. Uh, when you get to John's gospel, it's very different. It was the last gospel written. Uh, the earliest date for the writing of the gospel of John would have been mid-50s AD. The latest date would have been close to 90 AD. John was the only disciple that was not martyred. Um, it's not because they didn't try. It's just as one uh, church father, one histor- is actually a historian, um, one Jewish historian said, they tried to kill him, but he refused to die. Um, <laughs> I just, I like that quote, right? They, they tried to, they boiled him alive. He wouldn't die. So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And then he ends up writing the book of Revelation, which is amazing. And so, um, but anyways, and then he spends his days, his last days were at the church of Ephesus as one of the church fathers there. Um, and so just anyways, but he writes his gospel last. And what's one of the unique things about his gospel is that, um, while the synoptic writers kind of go from the birth of Jesus and they kind of jump to the last year of Jesus' ministry, John actually gives us a lot of pictures and events and things that happen in the first uh, couple of years of Jesus' ministry. Uh, that's why we have like the, the turning the water and the wine at the wedding of Canaan. That's why it's in John's gospel or not. John is the most um, evangel- evangelistic, probably would be the best way to say it, the most evangelistic of all the gospels. In fact, in John chapter 20, he says, I'm writing these things that you would believe in the Christ. And that really kind of catches the theme and the idea of why John wrote his gospel was to explain to us that Jesus Christ is divine, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And it's seen all throughout the gospel of John. In fact, John continually takes pictures and ideas from the Old Testament to draw in the the reality and the truth that Jesus is God and Jesus is the Son of God. That's why John, when he starts writing his gospel, it sounds like Genesis, in the beginning, but instead in the beginning was God. He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then he says, we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, right? He made, God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So John gives us all these incredible pictures and we're gonna deal, Romans, I'm sorry, Romans, John 15 uh, gives us one of the seven I am, typically known as I am statements of Christ in the book of John. And so we're going to look at one of those together. We'll talk a little bit about the significance of it. But I want you to stand with me. John chapter 15. We stand, like to stand when we read the word of God, just to honor the word of God. It is inspired. It is infallible. It is God's truth. um, And this is what we build our lives on. So John 15, we're going to read about eight verses here. Verse one, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Here's here's your first good news of the day. If you're really fruitful, he starts cutting things out of your life. The reward for being fruitful is you get cut. Praise the Lord. Let's pray and go home and be encouraged today. But he prunes that it may bear fruit more fruit. Can I just tell you this? A lot of times success in your life is not about what new thing you start. It's about what thing you stop. Because in your life, there there are things that produce fruit and there are things that don't produce fruit. And then there are things that don't produce as much fruit. And sometimes the way you take your life to the next level, if you will, the way you move forward in purpose and destiny and calling, the way you just become more fruitful or more successful sometimes has to do more with what you don't allow in your life or what you cut out of your life than what you begin or what you start. Sometimes the way the next level is not starting something new, it's stopping something old. Verse three. And you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You might want to underline this in your Bible. For without me, you can do... I think sometimes we think without God, we can do some things. And when it gets really big, we'll ask him. But according to Jesus, without him, you can do... Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me... He is cast out as a branch and and is withered and they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. And then verse 8, kind of the culmination of this part of his discourse. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Today, I want to talk to you about finding fulfillment, finding fulfillment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the word of God that you have given us. Holy Spirit, now as we gather here, don't let us miss this moment or this time with you, but give us spiritual ears to hear and give us a heart that perceives your truth. And God, today, we don't want to just hear something and leave, but God, we want the word of God, as we just read, to abide in us to take up residency in us, and to transform us and change us. So Holy Spirit, speak to us today in a way that we could hear. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You can can sit down. Thank you so much for standing and honoring the Word of God with me today. John chapter 15 takes place in the upper room. Most people probably would know that. Um, In fact, starting at John chapter 13, really through the first part of John chapter 17, it's all an upper room discourse before it's the same night that Jesus is going to be resurrected and so not that I would in any way minimize anything else in the Bible or minimize anything Jesus said how many know if Jesus is having a last conversation at the last supper with the the people he is entrusting to carry the gospel and the message right to the world how many know that's pretty intense conversation and so I think there's some redundancy that you see in, in some of the things that Jesus talks about what I love about this is, is Jesus makes this statement that, that I am the vine. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but, but he is talking about a connection that we need to him. And we're ta- he's now turned the conversation to bearing fruit. And ultimately, the conversation points to something that I, every human is actually after. It's all about what you're connected to to get it. And that is the conversation actually lands on this idea of fulfillment. He said, I want you to bear fruit. And then he says this, that your joy will be full. Do you read what he said? That your joy, that your joy would be full. And you think about our culture today, I would say probably most people who are breathing air in some way are pursuing some ideology around that concept. Now, culturally, we call it happiness. People, everybody wants to be happy and everybody's pursuing whatever they decide or think is going to make them happy or, or they're going the way they think they believe they can achieve happiness. But Jesus tells us something here. He tells us, number one, we were created on purpose for purpose. Fulfillment is found in that purpose and he cares whether you're fulfilled or not. And then he tells us, if you're fulfilled, God is actually glorified. And the glorification of God in your life is based on you producing the things God wants you to produce. And producing those things brings fulfillment to your soul. Like It's an incredible idea that, that Jesus is actually trying to get across to them. But here's what I want you to take away from this. I want you to think about this because so many times people in our culture outside of the church and sometimes people inside the church... A lot of people would say, God doesn't want you happy. God's road, the road is hard. It's difficult. It's, it's self-denial. If you really trust the teachings of Scripture, it's hard. It's no fun. And you can find fulfillment in something else. In fact, I think it's really the number one lie of the enemy is you can find fulfillment in something else. Might even say that in Christianity or following Christ, he doesn't even care if you're fulfilled or not. But the truth of the matter is, this is what Jesus is expressing. He's like, no, God actually cares if you're fulfilled. God designed you in a way and he created you in a way 
that there's something in us that says my life is supposed to have meaning and purpose. And God wants us to have and to find that meaning and purpose. It just can't be found outside of him. But God is actually concerned and wants you to live a life that is, that is, that is actually fulfilling for you, but pleasing for him. It's, it's like the ultimate win-win. Because so many times, even growing up in church, I remember so many times in church thinking, thinking that to follow God meant that I couldn't follow other things that I wanted to follow. I couldn't do other things. It's like you got to pick one or the other. And absolutely the gospel is a gospel of, of self-denial. Probably the biggest lie of our culture, really, because nowadays there's a lot that believe that somehow the gospel is, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying, let me say it this way. The gospel is deny yourself. Culture says indulge yourself. Those are not the same. So it is self-denial. But in that self-denial, there's fulfillment. In that, I mean, think about it. If I, if I rightly define what I was created for and I rightly understand it, then I can pursue it and experience fulfillment. So fulfillment is really about finding the thing I was created for, finding the meaning that my life is supposed to have. Right? Well, what happens when I, when I attach that to something else that isn't really true or isn't really right and I spend my life pursuing that? I spend my life kind of chasing, if you will, the idea of fulfillment but never really experiencing it. Jesus actually tells us how to experience fulfillment. And it's actually found in producing the fruit that God wants us to produce. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Where the conversation really for me really started in this was just, I don't know, sometimes as you get older, you start thinking about things. Even as a pastor, you start thinking about things. As someone that leads the church, you start thinking about things. And the staff and I were having some conversation about things. And we do some enrichment and we grow together and that kind of thing. And we were really talking about what is the fruit that, that God has called our church to produce. And, and I really put that to, toward me. Like, what is, what's the fruit God's called me to produce? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but according to John chapter 15, according to Jesus, and you're probably here, so that indicates you probably believe in him or at least you know, some degree of faith in there. That according to Jesus, your life is supposed to produce fruit. My question is, is your life producing fruit and what's the fruit your life is producing? Like, is your life supposed to produce fruit? Yes. But have you thought about recently, what is the fruit that my life is producing? What, what is the fruit that your life's producing? I mean, that's kind of one of those reflective, you know, questions, but it's a great question to ask. And is my life producing the fruit God created me to produce? When we're talking about producing fruit, we're looking at John 15. One of the first things that we learned that's really kind of against kind of our humanistic way, if you will, is that producing fruit... Um, or you could say it this way, fulfillment doesn't come from consuming, but producing. I'm going to say it again, because it kind of goes against, if you think about our culture, we think fulfillment's going to come when we get the thing we desire. We think fulfillment comes when we achieve, when we gain, when we access when we find, like, fulfillment's going to come when I find the right person. Fulfillment's going to come when I can express myself or be me, live my truth, do me, you do you, boo. But according to Jesus, fulfillment in life is not about what you consume. It's about what you produce. It's about what is your life producing. The truth is, I, there's something in all of us, right? There's something in all of us that tells us our life's supposed to mean something. Like even people with an atheistic worldview feel like their life's supposed to mean something. They just don't have an objective standard or truth to attach it to. For us, it's easy. Our life's supposed to mean something. We were made by God on purpose, for a purpose. We can only find fulfillment and purpose in God. Very simply, that's it. If you're outside of that, the, they, they, I like this term, they use the word flourishing because you know my whole thing about atheistic worldviews. Atheistic worldviews allow, uh, uh, they can't have any objective morality or any objective truth because there's nowhere to anchor it to. Does that make sense? So, so a, Christ, a Christian worldview, we, God is ultimate truth, right? And God is the ultimate moral standard. And so it, God is right and wrong and everything comes from that. So atheists impose a moral standard, an objective moral standard without having one. And so many times in, in that worldview, when they're trying to express meaning, they, they, they give the idea of meaning as they use this word flourish. 
I was talking with atheists one time, and he, he said, I said, well, what do you think the purpose of life is? And he said, well, I think we're supposed to flourish. Well, what is that? You know, and he said, he said, and do good. I'm like, well, how do you define what's good? what good is? Well, I think we all know what's good is. I'm like, well, uh, Hitler thought flourishing was creating a super race through genocide, and he thought that was good. So if you could just tell me where you get the idea of good. Well, humans are innately good. Ooh, are you sure about that? Like, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure we can actually just experientially, I'm not sure we can make that one work. But the point is, atheistic or Christian worldview, whatever your worldview is, there's something in us that says our life's supposed to mean something, which is what Jesus is saying here. And this is what Jesus said, your life's supposed to mean fruit bearing or producing fruit. And he actually even gives levels of fruitfulness, if you will, because he starts out in verse two, no fruit. Then there's uh, fruit. Then there's more fruit. Then verse five, we're at much fruit. And verse 80 follows up much fruit. So there's no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. But here's, we're all supposed to be fruity. And I win. And so here's... <laughs> but the reality is, he's telling us your life's supposed to produce fruit. There's something in us. But I don't know if you ever thought about this. He's telling us the purpose is we produce fruit. But an apple tree doesn't produce fruit because the apple tree needs fruit. The apple tree produces fruit because humans need food. It's not in consuming, it's in producing. In other words, he's saying your life, the, the meaning, part of the meaning of your life has to do with other people. That people should actually be able to consume the fruit in your life. That your life should actually produce something for someone else besides yourself. Because our culture says we're supposed to get everything, you know, get all you can, can all you get and sit on the can. That's, that's old time preacher quote right there from guy I went to, old time pastor I went to church with. You say that all the time. Can't, you know, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. It was funny. Anyways. That's, but what Jesus is saying is something different. He's like, no, your life actually should produce something that brings life to someone else. Your life actually should produce something that could be consumed. Because a lot of times, think about this. When we look even at Galatians 5, because the Bible, I hate to say it's ambiguous because it's really not, but, but there's no list of this is fruit. The closest list we get is Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? But wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus said, your life's supposed to produce fruit, and here's the fruit. Like, does anyone else like a good task list? I find so much peace in a task list. I love lists. Because I know when I'm done. Anybody else feel me? Right? I'm confused when I don't know what's on the list. And I don't know where the end is. I can't live that way. That's no way to live. I need a list. Janet will tell me something. I'm like, baby, I got it on the list. And then she'll tell me something. I'm like, it's not on the list. Can you remind me to put it on the list whereby we will both have peace. But he doesn't really do that. I mean, it'd been nice if he said, you know, you're, you're, by this you'll bear much fruit, i.e. fruit would be serving someone, taking a meal to someone in need, you know, giving an offering, you know, joining a serve team, leading a life group, ministering to a child, praying for a person, and I would be like, yeah, I got that one, got that one, got that one. Now, I think the reason he doesn't do that because fruit bearing comes through your connectedness and God's more concerned about relationship than rules. And so God wants you to stay connected so that you understand, so you walk in obedience to him. And I think fruitfulness comes when we walk in obedience to him, which then is different for every person. So one list doesn't fit everything. Are you with me? But how many would still be okay if he gave you a list? God doesn't do things my way, but sometimes I just like to say, under protest, I object. You know, it's the same kind of thing. But um. But, but the fruit of our lives is actually supposed to be for other people. In fact, three characteristics of fruit, if you think about it, three characteristics of fruit. Uh, number one, fruit's visible. Number two, fr fruit is um, comparable. And number three, fruit is consumable. What do you think about that? Number one, people can see the fruit in your life. People can see the fruit in your life. Um, 
A lot of times the fruit in your life is, is seen when it is squeezed. Amen. Has anyone ever had someone in their life that squeezed the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Are you with me? Isn't it interesting, though, sometimes with, with you know, like, for, for instance, you know, fruit, fruit is, is visible in that we, every day people see fruit in your life and people see fruit in my life. The question is, what does that fruit point them to and what does that fruit look like? Because your life is bearing fruit. I mean, if you go back to Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 7, he said bad trees produce bad fruit, good trees produce good fruit. The question is not whether you're producing fruit. The question is not do people see fruit in your life. The question is what kind of fruit do people see in your life? Because your fruit is visible, right? This is why I have to be careful in public. And you should too, right? Because how many of you know I've, I've had bad service at a restaurant? Believe it or not, they have burnt my food. I have dri driven through the pharmacy to find out, even though they told me my prescription was ready, it was in fact not ready at all. I never get, I was in the line. This is why you have to, I was in the line and they had, I was picking up a prescription for, for one of the kids and I was in the line and they had, they had text my phone to tell me your prescription is ready, Mr. Straight. I'll be right there. Hop in the truck, drive down, wait in line for four days and 37 hours. Get to, get to the window and the nice little girl says, May I help you? Yes, I'm here to pick up the prescription. Here's the kid's name, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we're sorry, we don't have that ready. And, and I want you to know in that moment, in that moment, there's a lot of things I want to say in that moment. And all of them would have been very visible fruit. I want to explain to her, you text me. Instead, so I said, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Could you tell me when it'll be ready? She said, yeah, we should have it in about an hour. I'm like, great, I'll just come back. She said, oh, by the way, Pastor Marty, I really enjoyed church Sunday. I'm so glad you were blessed. Praise the Lord. That was close. <laughs> you have no idea how close that is. <laughs> but your fruit is visible and your fruit is comparable, meaning that it should look like the fruit you produce should look like. The, in fact, I would say this way. The fruit you produce does look like the vine you're connected to. The question is, what is the vine? We'll get to that in a minute, but. But it's comparable. In other words, if, think about this. If, if you squeeze an orange, what do you get, everybody? Orange juice. Well, then you, if you squeeze a Christian, you shouldn't get anything other than Christ. Are you with me? It should be comparable to what you're connected to. Right? And then the last we've been talking about, it should be consumable, that someone should be able. I, I was telling this story. I, I'll shorten the story. Jan and I were on vacation. How many know short Have y'all figured out short stories are a challenge for me? Yeah. Just pray for me. But we were on vacation. We were sitting in the airport coming home. We heard a loud thud. And then Jana got my attention. I could tell something was going on. I looked, and uh, an, an older man had tripped, fallen backwards. And, and the sound we heard was his head on the, on the floor. And yeah, and so it's very scary. And so I ran over to just, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. So I run over there and get down. Of course, he's, I'm like, sir, you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor, but I know we don't need to move right now. We just need to, let's lay down. Like we're already down. So I'm trying to encourage you, let's just lay down. Well, um, and then an airport person comes over. And, and so long story short, uh, there was a medical doctor that was there. He came over, he said, I'm a physician. So I got out of the way, I let him. And so when I stood up like this, I realized the man's wife was standing here and she was obviously very distraught. And um, I felt so bad for her because, you know, she, I mean, this whole thing. And so um, obviously there's a medical doctor. I can't do anything more than what he can do. So I just stood there for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And I held her hand and put my arm around her and just stood there. And I just kind of prayed for her, prayed for him quietly. I didn't make a big show of that. And I just stood there and stood there and said, hey, maybe we could get her a chair because they tried to get her to sit down. She obviously wasn't going to leave him. Um, and so they finally brought her a wheelchair. And so I pulled that up and we sat in the wheelchair. And anyways, I was about to leave. And she just looked at me, tears in her eyes. She said, thank you. 
And, and my thought was, I'm like, now we had a great trip. We had a fantastic time. But I'm like, this is one of the most meaningful moments of the trip for me. And it wasn't like, I would have loved to tell you, man, I prayed and just raised that man up right there. Woo, praise the Lord. Right? Or, or I don't know, did something. The truth is, what I did was nothing at all. But it was consumable fruit. It was consumable fruit for that, for that lady. Now, he, they checked him out. He seemed to be fine. They took him. He was very con- conscious, coherent, and they took him for some more testing things. But, but I'm just saying it's that type of thing where people can actually... So many times when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we're thinking about the fruit other people or God can give to us. But what if the fruit of the Spirit is what we're actually supposed to produce through us for other people? What if being fruitful and, and finding fulfillment in life is not about how much I consume, but how much I produce that other people um, can, pursue, can, can consume? Um, then there's this idea. Here's the big question. So then, if he's the vine, we're the branches, we're supposed to produce fruit, who, produ- who, who decides the fruit that we're actually supposed to produce? Like, where, where does that rest? Because a lot of times, and because this is what he says, I mean, I mean, this is the words of Jesus, but he says, Abide in me, uh, and I in you, and as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says, By this, Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you be, be my disciples. And so the bottom line is he's telling us, hey, we're going to produce fruit, and we're going to produce fruit by abiding in him, being connected to, to the vine, if you will. But the question is, who determines the kind of fruit that my life produces, me or God? Because a lot of times, humanistically, what we tend to want to do is we tend to look out there and decide the fruit we want our life to produce. The problem is sometimes we decide the fruit we want our life to produce, and based on that, we go connect to a vine that is not him to try to, con- try to produce the fruit we actually want to produce. We, we decide what, what fruitfulness is in our life. Well, fruitfulness is maybe a status or a position or amount of money or certain influence, whatever, finally being discovered on TikTok. Praise the Lord. But the problem is, it doesn't matter how hard a grape, vine, and branch try, they're never going to produce a watermelon. Because they weren't designed to produce a watermelon. And I think there's a lot of frustration in our lives because sometimes, I mean, sometimes we're this way. We actually prayerfully tell God the fruit we want our life to produce. Like, I don't know if you could have met me in Bible school. There was a lot of fruit I decided I wanted my life to produce. Right? So far, my life has not produced some of that fruit. Because the truth of the matter, what I did was I actually decided the good fruit I wanted to produce and then made it God's responsibility to make me produce the fruit I wanted instead of surrendering my life completely and fully to Him, being connected to Him, say, you determine the fruit that I produce, you determine the season that I produce it in, and I will be fulfilled when I produce the fruit you created me for, not the fruit I think I'd like to have. And so who gets, because in our culture, and this, our whole culture is full of, they want to produce fruit, but they determine the fruit. You need to understand this. Like, let me help, let me, let me help you. We probably all know this, but it sometimes it just needs to be said. According to Paul, the apostle, we are called according to his purpose. We don't actually call God according to our purpose. Are you with me? And so we connect to him and allow him to produce what he wants to produce in and through our lives. Right? And to do that, we have to produce the right fruit. We need the right vine. So um, we, we, we do enrichment as a staff. We grow as leaders. And, um, and we were looking at this passage. And I, I, had, I know, like theologically, what Jesus is saying when he says the true vine. Um, because that's actually, in fact, all the seven statements of Jesus and John were kind of revolutionary and controversial when he said them. Meaning that if you're a first century Jew, you think the true vine, according to Isaiah 5, is Israel. And you have to stay connected to Israel, and life is found in Israel. And that's really 
That's, that's what you believe. So when Jesus stands up and says, I am the true vine, Israel's the true vine. It's kind of like when Jesus said, I'm, I'm the true bread or I'm the bread, right? And they're like, what? no, that's manna. Manna's the, or, or better yet, you know, when, when Jesus is like, hey, Lazarus is John 11, Lazarus is going to rise, right? And Mary's like, well, we know he will on the last day. And Jesus says, no, I'm the resurrection. See, first century Judaism believed there was a resurrection in the end. That was part of their eschatology. They didn't believe in a spiritual resurrection. They didn't understand or have the concept or have the concept of salvation, which we know is a spiritual coming to life and a resurrection, which Jesus is for all of us, that because we've been resurrected the first time, we will be resurrected in the end, right? Are, are you with me? So every statement he's making is controversial in their culture. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's actually saying, you thought you could find life in Israel and you thought you could find life in the law, but really you find life in me. Now, what, what I love is we're sitting around, we're talking about this and I know that theologically, but then, but then Kayla, I'm going to give her credit because she said, well, when I read this, I saw I am the true vine. And that essentially means then there are false vines. And I was like, now nah, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> but I'm going to give her credit for it because the way you plagiarize in the kingdom of God is the first time you say, hey, Kayla said this. Next time I'll say, you know, someone said. And then the third time I'll say, I have always said, right? That's how you plagiarize in the kingdom of God. But when she said that, I thought that, I mean, not, not only is it, is it, you know, theoretically true, but theologically, it's true because Jesus is saying, Israel, while it is God's people, it's not the true vine, right? And so think about this. If there are true vines, then there are fake vines. There are things that promise if you connect to this, you're going to find fulfillment. If you connect to this, you're going to find fruitfulness. If you go this way, that's how you're really going to achieve happiness. One of the greatest, I don't even know what you would call it, a movement an ideology is secularism. So secularism basically says you are in and of yourself and you have to go inside yourself and find yourself and find your truth. And basically it says this, happiness is the goal and your feelings are the guide. That's what secularism says. There's not really a God out there. You're kind of your own Lord. You're in charge of your own life. So go inside yourself, figure out who you are, figure out what it would make you, what would make you happy and then, you, you know, based on how you feel, and then you, you just pursue that. So you just live by feeling, and that's your truth, right? What is it? It's a fake vine. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the light, right? I mean, it's kind of like relativism. Relativism says what makes you happy is once you figure out what your truth is going to be, your relative truth. And bottom line is we know that can't be true. Truth in and of itself is exclusive, right? Truth is absolute. Like when someone says there is no absolute truth, they're making an absolute claim while saying there are no absolute claims. It's a self-defeating argument. It's really stupid when you think about it. But yet they say, hey, you just live by your own truth. You're going to find fulfillment. You're going to find fulfillment and fruitfulness and all those things you ever wanted. Or, or here's one that's, now I'm probably going to step on some toes, but I don't really, I mean, it doesn't, I love you and I care, but not really. No, I do. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you very much, and that's why I want to tell you this. But one of the big, one of the big movements now is all the social justice movement. Okay? Be very careful with this. Because let me ask you the question. Social, what is justice according to who? That's the question you should ask. Because are you saying, I don't, are you saying, Pastor, you don't believe in social justice? No, I believe in biblical justice. And biblical justice and social justice are not the same thing. There are some common themes. Biblical justice says we should care about the poor. We should care about the marginalized. We should preach the gospel to the poor. We should set the oppressed free. I mean, this is Luke chapter 4, Jesus quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, right? I came to preach the gospel to the poor. I came to bind up the brokenhearted. So, yes, as Christ followers, do we care about the marginalized, the poor, the broken, the hurting? Yes. Do we, do we speak up for those that don't have a voice? Yes. This is why we saw Roe v. Wade overturned. Are you with me? Because they couldn't speak up, and we finally did, and finally God moved powerfully in our nation, and we've saved probably millions of lives. 
But the bottom line is social justice and biblical justice, here's the difference. Social justice, humans decide the standard of justice and then get everyone to uphold it. Biblical justice is the understanding that according to Isaiah, God is justice. Righteousness and justice, according to the psalmist, is the foundation of his throne. So, so justice starts with God, not how I feel or what I think. So social justice is not going to bring me fulfillment, but being connected to the true vine and letting the justice of God work and move and be, becoming a part of that, a facilitator of that, absolutely could bring. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? If, if there's a true vine, there are fake vines. You know, the interesting thing about a, a vine uh, branch is that even if it becomes disconnected from the vine the branch can actually produce foliage, just no fruit. Do you know that? There's a lot of debate about John 15 because Jesus talks about these branches being thrown into the fire. And, you know, it kind of it's like, well, what does he mean by that? Because obviously our, our salvation is secured in Christ. It's not by our works that we're saved, but by grace. So it's like, well, how does that work? Were these, you couldn't have saved people that then were thrown into the fire if they were legitimately saved. Like, because our salvation is not in and of us. It's based in faith in Christ, right? But you know what I thought? I thought, no, this is people that get close enough to religion to produce foliage, but they're never connected to the true vine and produce fruit. Let me say another way. We live in a day where 66% of our culture say they're Christian. 6%, this is a Barnister, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Pew Research study. 66% of our culture in America says they're Christian. 6% of them actually adhere to, subscribe to, and follow a Christian worldview in the teachings of Christ. So we've got 60% of Christians that aren't really Christians. Potentially. Well, what does that look like? That looks like a branch that's gotten close enough to the vine to produce foliage, but it's not producing fruit. And that's what I want us to be careful that we're not buying into some concept to where we have foliage in our lives and no fruit, where we're close enough to God. We think, because I think a lot of times our culture, even in Christianity, is like, how close can I be to God and get into heaven? But how far, you know, but, but still live the way that I want to live and do what I want to do. And, and my prayer for us is that we would be a church that would deny ourselves and abandon. I mean, we're not supposed to look like culture. We're supposed to counter culture, not copy it. But that we would truly be connected to the vine so that he could produce the fruit in us that he has destined and, and created us to produce. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I'll just say this and I'll move on because I don't think this is the most popular part of the message. But Have you ever met someone that you, they said they're Christian and you got really puzzled? Like, are you sure, bro? I had someone tell me the other day, as a person that's practicing an alternate lifestyle, um, which is unbiblical. But they told me, I'm a Christian too. Just because I live this way doesn't mean I'm a Christian. So I just listened. I said, really, tell me about that. Well, I was raised Christian. I didn't know it was genetic. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know Christianity was genetic. I, didn't, I had no idea, you know. And then he went on to say, but, you know, I like now practicing the teachings of Buddha because I get more peace with them. I'm like, let me, let me review. <laughs> Just, I'm living a life that according to the Bible and even the teachings of Jesus is, is sinful. But I was born a Christian, so I'm a Christian. Not born again. I was born, which is not how that works, by the way. But I like to practice the teachings of Buddha because they make me feel better. And I thought to myself, this is probably indicative of our culture. This is how confused people are. So I looked down and I said, well, how do you get around that whole first commandment? I said, what do you mean? I said, have no other gods before me. Because you just said you, put, you, you prioritize the teachings of Buddha over the teachings of Christ, even though you're a Christian. So tell me how you get around the first commandment. Then he cussed. 
wasn't Christian cuss words. It wasn't shoot and darn. I guess my question is, are you producing foliage or fruit? Jesus tells us, so let's review. <clears throat> he tells us we're created on purpose for a purpose to produce fruit. When we produce fruit, we're fulfilled and God is glorified. Why do, so God wants you to produce fruit. Why? Number one, he finds fulfillment in you and you find fulfillment in him. He is glorified by what, produce, what is produced out of your life. He is glorified by what your life produces and you're actually fulfilled when your life produces the right fruit. So then how do we produce this fruit? Well, he tells us um, right here. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, right? If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, I already alluded to this, but I just want to say it one more time. What can you do without him? According to Jesus, can you do anything without him? Okay. So what he's saying is, just so we're clear, that without him, I can do no thing. Are we clear on that? Because sometimes I think what we think is, well, I can do some things. And then when it gets to the hard things, the big things, the heavy things, the impossible things, that's, that's where I need him. But according to Jesus, I can't tie my shoes without him. Are you with me? Because if we really believe what Jesus just said, without him we can do nothing, then the highest priority we have is our connectedness to him. There is nothing more vital or important than being connected to him if we really believe what he said. Now, if I really believe of me I can do some things, then I can get up in the morning and do the things that I can do. When I run into something I can't do, then I need to prioritize my connection to him. I.e., when the fit hits the shan, I run to him. You got to be careful when you say that in church. <laughs> Are you with me? But if I really believe, because what did Paul say? You can do all things through. So just to be clear, we have some bookends. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And with him, I can do all things. So then what makes it, what's the greatest priority in my life then? My connectedness to him. It can't be optional if I want to do anything with my life. Are you, are you, are you tracking? And so if I really believe that, then I prioritize my time with him and I prioritize my time in his word. I prioritize things like prayer. Like we have prayer Monday at six. People say, well, it's not a convenient time. It's not convenient for me either. But that's when we have it. So that's when I come. Does that make sense? If, if that's really, because here's the, think about this. Fruitfulness, this, ooh, okay. Bearing fruit is actually passive, but the connection is active. Okay, let me explain you don't bear fruit by trying to bear fruit. I have never walked past a fruit tree and heard, I've never seen that. In fact, if you look at a fruit tree, it doesn't look like anything's going on because everything's going on in the roots. Everything, every, all the activities in the connectedness is in the connection. That's where all the activity is. So here's what Jesus is telling us. You will naturally bear fruit if you will focus on connection. If you get the right connection, you bear the right fruit. If you focus on your connection. Now, here's the thing. What are we learning here? What we're learning is God's created me for a fulfilling life that is based in fruit production that brings glory to him. But in order to do that, I have to stay connected to him. And that's the only way to bear this fruit. It's the only way to bear the fruit that God's created me for is to stay connected to him. So I've got to put all my energy and all my focus then into that connection because without that connection, I can do right. Now, here's the thing. If I know that, who else knows that? Thank you. The devil, right? So what is his, what's, what's the target? Where is, where is the battle always the fiercest? 
where the connection is. What's always going to be under attack? The connection. Why? He doesn't want you to be fulfilled, and he doesn't want you to bear fruit, and he doesn't want God to be glorified. So when you look at Genesis chapter 3, what was under attack? Adam's connection and Eve's connection to God. It's always under attack. And the way he attacks, he uses different things. He'll say, you know, if God is really good, then, then he wouldn't keep something from you. You know, I'm, and, and I don't have time to go through all the, all the things. But, it, you know, he'll say things like, you know, when you go through things, when you go through the fire, you know, God's not with you. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. The in- interesting thing about fruit production, according to, and I actually looked this up because <clears throat> I read it in a commentary, but commentaries were written a long time ago, and sometimes you're not sure, and so then you've got to go to Google. And then you find legitimate sources within Google. Come on, somebody. Legitimate sources you can corroborate as real people that know something. Just because on the internet doesn't make it right or true or even real. Anyways, but I actually started saying this. But what they said is um, when you're producing wine, that the vines and grapes that have had to endure sometimes the harshest conditions actually have and release the most complex flavors. Like they, they make unique and better vintages or, or wines because of what they had to go through. Sometimes what you go through is what produces the most fruit in your life. The enemy will tell you the opposite. If you're going through it, it means God's not with you. No, 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 no. If you remember, according to Isaiah, God said when you pass through the fire... When you pass through the flood, I will be with you. Right? See, we pray, God, if you're with me, deliver me from the fire. Deliver me from the flood. Right? But sometimes the greatest way you produce fruit is in a fiery furnace. Come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or Meshach, Yershach, and a bungalow. Whichever way you knew it. Right? Sometimes you produce the greatest fruitfulness in the den of lions. And so you need to understand, if you're a believer and you're walking through something, this is what that should tell you. He is with you. And if He is with you, He will bring you through. And on the other side is probably a level and a degree of fruitfulness that you've never seen in your life if you'll let Him work through you while you walk through what you walk through. Are you with me? But in that moment, don't believe the lie of the enemy. Well, if God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. God loved you, you'd never, you'd never suffer. Well, if God loved Jesus, and Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered, why would I expect my life to be anything different than Jesus? But just because I'm walking through something hard isn't proof. Listen, a present storm is not proof of an absent God. Most of the time, it's, it's His presence is most seen in the storm. Are you with me? So what have we learned, church? What we've learned today is that God wants you to be fulfilled. And in you being fulfilled, He's glorified. And the way you're fulfilled is you produce fruit for other people. And the way you've produced that fruit for other people is you focus on your connection. And you, you keep an active connection. And if you maintain that connection, God will, you will produce fruit. It may not be the fruit you planned for your life, but it will be the fruit that God planned for your life. Are you with me? That is how you find fulfillment. Amen? Come on, can you give Jesus praise today? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. We end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer. For anyone who needs prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. You need a relationship with God. You need to get connected to the true vine, if you will. We'd love to pray with you. Or if you just need prayer for anything going on in your life, it would be our honor to pray with you. But let's just bow our heads and pray together as we, as we close here. And, and as you're bowing your head, I just want you to think about some questions that maybe God would answer for you today if you were to ask him these questions, but God could speak to your heart. Maybe you say, God, what is the fruit my life is supposed to produce? Or maybe you say, God, how is my connection to you? 
Or maybe you say, God, I'm going through something difficult. And I maybe was thinking you weren't with me, but God, ultimately, I know you're with me. What do you want to do in and through my life through the thing that I'm currently walking through? All of these are great questions. God, is is my life producing the fruit that you created me to produce? Or have I been going after the fruit that I want to produce? With our heads bowed, maybe those are questions you need to ask. Maybe those are questions that God could speak an answer to you. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to us today as we ask those questions, as we lean in. And God, as we understand you want to take us all to a new level of fruitfulness. God, you're challenging us all. And then God, today, if we need to join a serve team, if we need to give, we need to serve our neighbor or serve a friend or whatever whatever you're calling us to do to take us to that next level of fruitfulness, God, we want to do it. So speak to our hearts today. Speak to our hearts today. God, we want to be connected to you. And Lord, I just pray as a church, Lord, that this just wouldn't be a, a Sunday morning message, but God, we'd take this home and wrestle with it this week. We didn't look at these questions this week and look at the fruit of our lives and the fruitfulness of our lives and, and study your word and decide, God, what is it you want to produce in and through my life that other people could consume? And Lord, I just thank you today for this word, this time, for your truth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise today? Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church, and I just want to say thank you for joining us, and I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected, and there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app, and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, and if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel, and then also... Uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.